Okay, book or talk. So today's stop is Lamedet, Lamedet 32, and we pick up um, in the, um, near the, the, at the bottom of Lamedet, from um, three lines in, and we're moving on from the various invalidities of Tululav. We did Gozu and Yabesh, two of the big ones. Gozu had all issues of ownership and Mitzvah Yabeira possibilities. Um, Yavesh got into a whole a central discussion of the requirement of Hadar, of beautiful, that uh, comes from Esro, but is applied to the four Minim. Rabbi Yehuda, seems, uh, in the end of the conclusion of the Gemara, was rejects the requirements of Hadar, both by Lulav and by, and by Esro, even Esro where it's located, although has other criteria that are not rooted in Hadar, might be in the fullness of the fruit and other types of, that it's, a full, that it's fully developed fruit and other criteria. And finally, um, the other uh, important issue came down was the Gemara that spoke about um, uh, bequeathing dried up lulavim um, and presumably making a bracha on them, and the rabbi said, Ein raya, which raised questions in the Rishonim of whether there aren't other options, can you actually use invalid arbaminim and make a bracha on them, would that be a comparison to the Shafadachach of the Gemara. Now we move on from Yavesh, from um, Gozul and, um, and Yavesh to the other invalidities. Um, and the next is also uh, is, is, is the question of Asherah and Yernidacha. So let's take a look. Three lines down the wide lines. Shal Asherah v'shal Yernidacha. So the Gemara says if it's of an Asherah, which is a tree that is worshipped, and in Yonidathas, which is a city that the people in the city worship the Vodazara, and then you have to destroy and burn the whole city. So the Gemara says, Vishal Asherah Pasul, is that of an Asherah invalid? The Hama Rava, Rava says, Lulav Shela Vodazara, a Lulav of idolatry, Lo Yitol, do not take it. The Natal Kasher, and if you took it, it is Kasher. Now what does it mean? It is of a Vodazara. So it could be you worship the Lulav. Uh, Rashi gives two other possibilities. If you take a look at Rashi, Lulav Shela Vodazara, about ten lines down in the narrow lines. Shashim Shubola Vodazara Lechabev Lefanea Karka. You use it as a broom to sweep in front of the Avodazara. That is a category called Tashmishe Avodazara. Something that is an appurtenant, something that is used to serve. Now, I want to be clear. Avodazara does not mean an idolatrous religion in this context. Avodazara means a object, an idol that was worshipped. The principle is, whatever you say about, you know, the prohibitions of worshipping the Vodazar and so on, that's one thing. And what constitutes a religion of a Vodazar that is forbidden to worship, that, you know, in that religion. But there's another consideration, which is our focus here, which is, when worship is directed towards an object that object is an, becomes an idol and that object becomes forbidden in Hana'ah forbidden in benefit and then the question is what are the other types of things that are connected to the idol not that's what the meaning of Vodazar is in this context idol so that they also are forbidden in Hana'ah by extension Okay, so I want that to be clear. It's not just that you used something like, uh, you know, if somebody goes ahead and finds, I don't know, a hymn book um, from a, a, a Hindu hymn book. 
Okay, and you divide out. Hindu is definitely Avodah Zarah. So Hindu hymn book doesn't mean that it's Tashmisha Avodah Zarah. The question is for Easter Hana, was this object used in, con- in connection with an idol? Because the idol is forbidden in benefit, and things that are connected to that idol by extension also become forbidden in benefit. So if you use this Lulav to sweep in front of an idol, then it's Tashmisha Avodah Zarah and is forbidden in benefit. Are those are the that came from That's what that was about. Um, you actually use this lulav in a worship in front of the idol. Again, not just in a worship of a idolatrous religion, but you used it in front of the idol. So you did a whole lulav dance in front of the idol. And that makes it forbidden. That's called a different principle, which is Tikrovet avod. Uh, um, actually, it's still Tashmishe. Tikrovet is actually if it's offered up as an offering to uh, the Avodazara. So anyway, that is how it becomes forbidden. That it is used in some type of a service in front of um, in front of the in front of the idol. Okay, I should say by the way that yet yeah, and, and you know not to be confused that yes that if you basically somebody slaughtered an animal and offered it up to Zeus. So even if there's no idol around, that's also forbidden because of Tikrovet Avodazar. Then it becomes an offering to a pagan god and so on. So things that are actually like offered up as korbanot, you know, Tikrovet, that is. And things like this that Tashmishe used for, it means used in conjunction with the idol. And if the idol is forbidden, this becomes forbidden as well. So if you have a lulav that is this thing, that is either worshipped and forbidden in benefit, or Tashmishe Avodazar and forbidden in benefit, and you go ahead and use it on, on on Sukkot, so lo yitol, don't take it. Why shouldn't you take it? Because it's uh, you might say it's forbidden in Hana. You're getting benefit from it. But let's read the next line: the imnatal kasher. But if you took it, you actually were yotze your mitzvah. Now, how are you yotze your mitzvah? Isn't it forbidden in benefit? So this then becomes the very cl- classic principle of mitzvot lav lehanot nitnu. Mitzvot are not given for Hana'a. What does that mean? It means, you know, there's a Rashi somewhere that says that what it means is, um, well, actually, this Rashi says it here as well. He says it in different places, different ways. Look at Rashi, the Natal Kasher. Rashi says, the Avagavisuri Hanahu, even though it's forbidden benefit, the Mitzvah Lavli Hanos Nitnu. Kiloma, what that means is, Ain Kiyum Mitzvot Hanat Haguf, doing a mitzvah is not a benefit to the body. Ella avodat eved It is a sort of um, servant. It is the service of a servant to his master. Now, in other places, Rashi says even stronger something like mitzvahs weren't given for your benefit. Mitzvahs were given to be a yoke on your neck. So, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit different than the Rav Hanan Ben Akashama Ratsa Kodesh Yisrael. So, sometimes Rashi interprets Mitzvah Lavra Hennesinu as you shouldn't experience mitzvot as giving you religious fulfillment or whatever. Yeah, you do it out of a sense of service. It's very sort of, you know, very, very harsh type of an approach. The simple explanation has nothing to do with whether we enjoy or don't enjoy giving mitzvot and whether we think theologically God gave it to us so that we, it should be for our benefit, etc. The simple point is a very... Uh, um, you know, uh, a nuts and bolts halachic point, which is halacha deals with physical realities, not with metaphysical realities. And if something is forbidden in benefit, 
benefit is measured by benefit of this worldly benefit. Otherworldly benefit is not relevant for the realm of halacha. And again, that's pretty surprising. You know, halacha is religious law. But one of the, I think, surprising and beautiful things about halacha is how sort of, um, you know, um, like uh, um, grounded it is. Um, and how much it is like, if you want to measure something, you measure it by the thisworldly reality of it. So even if you have enormous benefit in Olam Haba, that is not how you measure, you know, benefit, and therefore it's not considered to be Hana'ah. Now, I suppose a question would be, okay, that's in terms of what reward God will give me in the future. But let's say I enjoy doing a mitzvah. You know, I get personal satisfaction. Um, you know, why is enjoyment a type of a pleasure? Which is interesting questions, but I'll just give you, for example, another case. You know, if you go to a walking movie, or you go to a, uh, you know, an art gallery, and you see this beautiful thing, that, let's take the art gallery, you look at a, a Vodazara, and you get all this aesthetic pleasure, so technically that's also not Asr Behanat, rabbinically it is, but not but biblically, because it is not a physical pleasure, and that it's a more aesthetic pleasure, that's the principle called, um, um, like, as visual, you know, or sound, you know, those types of pleasures are not considered technically really forbidden pleasures. Um, now again, rabbinically, it's an issue. You know, it gets the whole questions about using a dead body for, an, or, you know, for medical knowledge. Things that are benefits, but not in a way physical benefits. The Gemara has the issue about smell, because smell is much more, you know, a physical thing than vision or, you know, so, you know things like aesthetic pleasure and so on. So that's the principle of Mitzvah Slavli The other worldly benefits you get from them, even the sort of satisfaction you get, that just doesn't count as benefit within the world of halacha. Halacha is very this-worldly, and that does, is not a type of a concrete, physical, this-worldly benefit. So therefore, although it's forbidden in Hana'ah, you should, and you shouldn't take it, if you took it, you're Yotei the Mitzvah, you did not transgress, you did not derive benefit. So then, of course, the question is, so why is it forbidden in Hana'ah? Why shouldn't I take it? I mean, why, why, why shouldn't I take it if, I'm, if I'll be Yotei the Mitzvah? So there, Rashi just says in like two words, Demois Ligavoa. It's still disgusting. You don't want to use something associated with idolatry to do a mitzvah to God. But even though it's disgusting, technically, if you did it, you'd be Yotei. And that's the principle. So then the question is, so why aren't you Yotei with a lulav of an Asherah? Why don't we say the same thing? Don't do it. It's disgusting to use it. But if you did it, it's not considered benefit and you should be Yosei the Mitzvah. So before we get to the answer, I just want to point out that an obvious question to ask here is, one minute, it's more than just disgusting. Shouldn't this be Mitzvah Habab Yavera? You did the Avera, you worshipped the Vodazara. Shouldn't that invalidate, or somebody worshipped the Vodazara, shouldn't that invalidate this object and make this object unusable for a Mitzvah? Right, pretty reasonable question. It should be more than disgusting. It should be unusable. Forget Hana'ah. It's worshipped. It was worshipped. So Tosos asks this earlier in the Sugya of Mitzvah Bab Yavero. And he says two things. And basically Tosos' answer is that yes, you did an Avera, but that Avera was completely unrelated to, to the Mitzvah. He says, let's say you use this Lulav to dig a hole on Shabbos. 
Would it not be able to use it for the for a mitzvah? Let's say you carried the lulav into Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos. Would you not be able to use it? So similarly, if you worship the Avodah this is the Avodah you did a big Avera, but it doesn't. It's not that the mitzvah comes through the Avera. When you steal it, the stealing enabled you to do the mitzvah. But when you worshipped it, that was unrelated to the mitzvah. So that's how Tosos explains it. I still have to say, all of that being said, if the problem of mitzvah babi when we learned it, was not just that the the action focus, that the action of the Avera enabled the action of the mitzvah is intertwined with it. But if the idea, if you remember, we discussed was that it somehow disqualifies the object, stigmatizes the object, it would seem to me, maybe carrying a lulav into Rishas Rabin doesn't stigmatize the object, but it would seem to me worshipping something for Avodah Zarah should put it totally off the table for using it for mitzvahs. It should be more than just mice. Something that's used for another religion should be disqualified, you know, for being used in a mitzvah context. So it still is pretty shocking that the Gemara does not make this a mitzvah hababi avera problem. But Tosus focuses not on the object, but on the action, and says, yeah, but the action did not enable the mitzvah. So now we're going to have to say, here's our issue. The lula, don't use it. It's disgusting. But if you did your yotze, it's not considered benefit. So why does our Mishnah say you can't use a lulav of um, Asherah? How is that any different than this case? Charlie, what did you want to say? So an example where the, uh, the, the Avera causes it to be available might be when there was a temple if you carry the lulav through the Rashut Rabbi on Shabbos on the first day. <laughs> right. If you, do, if you were able to, to get, but if, yeah, if, if it was only, well, it wouldn't be, uh, because, no, because then you could have done it at home, but you're saying, let's say it was on Cholomoed, with only mitzvahs taking it, was in the base of Mikdash, and then you know, something's asked. Uh, but, anyway, but, yeah. but another uh, question more philosophically, there actually are some mitzvahs in the Torah, where the Torah itself gives some examples of actual benefits. What do you mean? Oh, like God will give you compassion. And yeah, those types of yeah, but again, that's not an, uh, uh, something that's... Live that's long in the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that can't be counted on in this, uh, you know, is not like a real physical concrete type of a thing. It's a divine promise that gets into the metaphysical realm. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um, so the Gemara says like this. Um, okay, so, so how do you explain why an share is invalid? Shouldn't it be that don't do it, but if you do it, it's okay? We're talking about Moshe's Asherah. The Kitute Mechta Shiure. And its, its size is completely ground up. I'll just read this and then unpack it. Dikanami, that's also inferable from the language, Diktani Dumyadir Nidachas. That it says it's similar to the idea of a condemned city. Shmami no. That's a good proof. Well, that was self explanatory. So, <laughs> so, the point is the following. There's a principle called kitute mechtar shiure, which means something that there is a mitzvah to destroy, it's like it's already burnt and destroyed and cannot be used for a mitzvah. Now, it doesn't have to mean you literally look at it like a pile of ashes, although there are some gemaras that sound like that, but what it could just mean is, is that the mitzvah to destroy it undermines any of its significance, and therefore it can't have the weight of being used as a mitzvah object. If you think about it, the whole idea of a shear is to say it has to be a minimum size or minimum whatever, you know, quantity in order to be significant. Well, if the whole idea is to destroy it, that completely undermines the sense of any significance of this object. So something that there's a mitzvah to destroy cannot be used as a mitzvah object because of this idea of kitute mechbeshirei. So that is the reason why the irni dachas is no good. The irni dachas, the lulavs in the city of the irni dachas, were not used in any, in any forbidden thing. But because those lulavs will have to be destroyed and burnt, they can't be used. 
Similarly, says the Gemara, the Asherah here, the problem is not that it's forbidden in benefit. The issue is, what's another thing that's a halacha of Avodah in addition to the fact that you can't get benefit from it, of an idol? What do you have to do with idols? You have to destroy them. So if it's something that is not just forbidden in benefit, but has to be destroyed, then it's like the Yeridachas, and then you can't use it for the mitzvah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But what do you mean by Moshe's Asherah? The Gemara seems to be distinguishing that there are two categories of idols. Idols that have to be destroyed and idols that don't have to be destroyed. And the idols that have to be destroyed are ironically called Moshe's Asherahs. So what do you mean by Moshe's Asherahs? So let's take a look at what Rashi says about this. The Asherah de Moshe. Rashi says the following. Ozrim shahayu b'shatz kibusher Yisrael, those that were at the time when Israel was conquered, shehit zvichan hakasuf streifaza, they had to be burnt, kidefli vasherehem tisrefun ba'esh. So Rashi seems to say, very shocking Rashi, seems to say the only Avodazara that there's a mitzvah to destroy is the Avodazara that was in the land of Israel when they entered in to conquer the land. But after the period of Moshe Rabbeinu, right, I don't know why it doesn't say Asherah Yehoshua, but okay. Yeah. After the period of Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no mitzvah to destroy Avodazara. Now I have to say something about this. Because, you know, normally, like, nobody ever says that. The Torah just says destroy it, and the general assumption in, you know, the post given to be shown is it's meant to destroy it, but it doesn't matter where and when. And that leads, you know, so, but the point is, here's a shocking thing. If you read through all of the Mishnayot and all of the Gemarot, about Avodah Zarah, and there's tons, and there's a whole Masechet Avodah Zarah, and there's all these types of things, you will see discussion about Yain Netzech, you will see discussions about things that are Asr Behana because they were used in Avodah Zarah, you will see discussions about forbidden worship, and what constitutes forbidden worship, you know which one thing you won't see? Destroy. A discussion of the mitzvah to destroy Avodah Zarah. Wow. It's not there, why not? <coughs> Scholars have said, uh, well think about it for a minute, the Mishnayas were being written in the land of Israel under Roman rule, which was filled with pagan <coughs> idols. You cannot go about discussing the mitzvah to destroy Avodah Zarah and to be in that type of reality. So it was just sort of, you know, it was just like bracketed. It wasn't discussed. Um, so that's quite fascinating and it's fascinating because in contemporary times right now you know you have some people talking about well how do we allow this in the land of Israel and that in the land of Israel there's a mitzvah to destroy Avodah Zarah you're not allowed to allow Ovi Avodah Zarah in the land and so on it's interesting to note that some that, that those things that were completely impractical at the time the mission was being re- discussed was, were, were, were bracketed and Rashi here actually makes it halachically bracketed because this Rashi seems to say that actually the only mitzvah to destroy was at the time of uh, Yoshua, at the time that they conquered the land. After then, there's no mitzvah to destroy, which is a, quite a fascinating Rashi. Tosos does not say that. Tosos says that the difference of which you have a mitzvah to destroy and which you don't have a mitzvah to destroy is, he says Moshe refers to like Jewish Avodah Zarah. And he says there's a difference between Jewish and not Jewish Avodah Zarah. Why? Because he says if a non-Jew worships Avodah Zarah, an idol, a non-Jew can also annul it, be mevato it and say, I no longer treat this as an idol, throw it in the trash can, and then it becomes permissible. But as soon as it is worshipped or owned by a Jew, its status cannot change. And therefore, Tosu says, that's the difference. If it still can be unbattled, you know, or unavodazarat, it can be nullified, right, then... Um, it's not considered like it's destroyed and burned up because it might status might change. All you have to do is the non-Jew just has to discard it. But once there's no other alternative, 
once it will never change its status and it has to be destroyed, then you can't use it because of this principle of Mechta Shiure. Yes. I, I was teaching in the high school yesterday the first mission in the ninth chapter of Brachot. Yeah. About the Brachot. Ne'ekra hudazara v'makom hazeh. Yeah. One of the students said is it's, is it possible that the Peshat of that mission could be that it's talking about um, the Abu Dazara that's worshipped by Jews as to say it's an act of disloyalty and that that Mishnah is not talking about the Abu Dazara of faith. Could be. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of discussion. That's not how I normally understood it, but right, it could be. Right, yeah. Right. Okay, so that is the conclusion of the Gemara, that if it were just forbidden in benefit and worship, that would not be enough. Quite shocking, even though stolen is enough to disqualify. But, if it's a mitzvah to destroy it, because of Rashi's, you know, that it was a Vodazah in the time of Moshe, more literally, or Yoshua, or Tosos, that it's owned by a Jew and cannot be, uh, have its status removed, um, and therefore it must be destroyed, then it is not valid because it's like it is already burnt up. So we go from those fascinating discussions now back to some aesthetic issues um, and more concrete physical issues. So let's take a look. Niktam Rosho. If the head of the Lulav is cut off, it's not good. Amrav Huna. Loshanu Ela Niktam. That's only if it's cut off. Avonistak, if it is split, Kasher, it's kosher. Okay, this is the big question about the split head or not. Anyway, what is nistak? So Rashi makes it sound like not just the tip of it, or, or not, not the tip of it, but if you look at Rashi, nistiku rasheha alim. Maybe many of the leaves are split. So again, not, you know, I'm not going to get into how this translates into practical halacha, because there's a million discussions of, you know, debates about exactly which is, you know, what aspect of the Lulav it's talking about. But let's just go see what it says. So if the leaves are split, as opposed to cut off, that's okay. So the Gemara says, kasher, is split leaves okay? That time we talked about, it's a Lulav kafuf. If you have a Lulav that's bent over, kavutz, kavats, or whatever, if it's uh, thorny, saduk, if it's split, akum domele magal, or it's so sort of bent that it's like a scythe, Right? So that's really a big bend. Pasul, it's invalid. Harut, if it is uh, like hard, like a stick, right? You know, sometimes the leaves get so hard it becomes like a stick. Pasul, that's invalid. Dome le harut, if, they're, if it's starting to harden, but the leaves are still separable, then kasher, it's kasher. Okay, so the bent and the hard we sort of get. That's, you know, obviously uh, not hadar and not what a lulav is supposed to look like. It doesn't have separate leaves. It's not straight and so on. But how about this issue about, um, um, it's in, by the way, the, the, the idea that if it has thorns coming out of the side, it's invalid is also interesting. But okay, all of that we get. But one thing we're going to focus on is this issue about saduk, split. So you see, and you said that split was okay. So Amara Papa, the Avi Kehemnik. No. When it's split is no good, we're talking about that it's very seriously split, which is that it's basically like, if you look at the Rabbeinu Hanano, you have a picture. This is apparently before the age of Xerox machines. The way you did a, you, you didn't have to copy things twice, is you had a pen that had two tips to it. So you would basically write once, and you sort of see how that would work. You had a thing with like two separate t- tips, and you had one piece of paper here and one piece of paper here, and you sort of like wrote once. You know, it would come out as it would, there would be two. It would there would be two copies. You could also do three copies depending on how you had the whole thing structured. Anyway, sometimes you see this in some of those movies that uh, try to depict ancient times. You see people doing that. Anyway, so um, if it's really totally split, like the spine separates off into two separate heads. That's no good. But if you just have to, the leaves are split down, that's not a problem. Okay? So that's, a, that's pretty nice leniency. Let's see as the Gemara continues. 
What if, if it's bent over like a scythe, it's no good. You know, very often a lulav does have a bend. I mean, normally not like a scythe, but it's normally it does have a bend. So, Amarava, lo amen elulafanav. The only problem is if it's bent, it's sort of in front of it. You know, if you consider the spine of the lulav, the back, and the other part, the front, so if it's bent down facing the front. But if it's bent back towards the spine, that's like a natural shape of the lulav. Now, is that really true? Because th- I'm thinking when I buy lulavs, right, and I hold them by the spine and I try to look straight to see how straight they are, you know, when they bend, they tend to bend down, right? They don't bend up against the spine. Isn't that right? They bend down, right? So I'm not exactly sure what this means, that when he says that when it's backwards towards the spine, it's the normal way. Um, maybe it means like if it's a serious bend, but I don't know. I mean, do, do they have any pictures there or any descriptions in any of that? No? All right. So I don't know exactly what that means. Amar of Nachman, let's start in Kilifan of Dami. If it bends over to the side, that's like in front of it, and that's, and that's okay. And that's no good. The Amiway Kilachan of Dami, and some say, no, that's like bent back, and that, and that is good. Okay, so we don't know what the story is if it bends too much to one side or another. Um, this is a question in general, as I said, when you buy a lulav, how much does it have to be like ramrod straight? Or how much can it, you know, be a little bit bent? So I try to get mine, you know, very, very straight, but the question always becomes how bent is bent and how much is it a problem? And also this Gemara with the difference of lefanov and laachrav, um, you know, makes also, like, how to, how to exactly apply that. If you have a lulav that all the leaves come out on only one side of the spine, that's like a blemished lulav in a puzzle. Again, not like it's in the Mishnah, but you sort of see that if you have a general issue of aesthetics, what exact things violate a minimum aesthetics is, you know, is like a judgment call. So, like, the fact that the Gemara threw in the idea that it had spines, well, we weren't even thinking about that. That should invalidate. So here, Rav is talking about something which maybe it would have been, been more obvious, you know, that all of the leaves are coming out on only one side. Okay. So that's the type of bends and sh- uh, of the lulav and the split of the lulav. Now we get... Symmetry, right. Right, exactly. It can't all be... So, so I think that that's actually a good point, you know, in the sort of... in the whole sort of uh, science of aesthetics or study, you know, or study of aesthetics, which I don't really know, but obviously I do know, going back to Aristotle, the impor- symmetry is a very central concept to aesthetics. So that is true, and that comes about all the things. The estro, the lulav, you know, you want them to look symmetrical. That's a basic uh, thing. So that's a very good way of pointing out the, the problem here about coming out on one side. Okay, Nifritsu Olav... So the Mishnah says if the leaves were were like nifrat, which is separated off, it's invalid. Nifridu, if they're spread out, it's kasher. So it's not. So what nifridu is talking about is not hard to understand. It means that the leaves are like fanned out. They're all connected to the spine, but they're fanned out, and that's why Reb Yehuda says, "Oh, it might be kosher, but you have to flatten them against the spine." But what about nifritsu? What is the invali- what scenario is nifritsu that it's invalid? So Rashi says it means that the leaves actually <coughs> fell off the lulav and you rebound them to the spine of the lulav. You know, Tosus feels like that's way too obvious to be saying that that's invalid in any way. And Tosus understands that nifritsu means that all of the leaves have opened up. You know, you know the leaves are double leaves. So it means all of the leaves have basically been opened up and that that would be the case of nifritsu. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Of nifritsu, excuse me, nifritsu, which is invalid. Amara papa nifritsu, nifritsu, which is invalid, the aviki chufya, is like a broom. 
So what does that mean, a broom? So Rashi says, what do you do with a broom? You have all of the uh, sep- leaves fell off, and you tie it back up, as, you know, and that's what it makes it like a broom. So it says, no, if the leaves have been split open and are, you know, open face, that makes it more, uh, you know, broom-like. So it's a total debate about what this case is, but if it's like a broom, then it's invalid. Nifridu, when it's okay, the ifrodi frude, they're fanned out, but they're still all connected to the spine, and it's just that they've fanned out, and that's actually okay. So by Repapa, Repapa asked, Nechlika hatiyomes mahu. Okay, this is probably the most important question that we get by shopping for a lulav. If the tip of it is split, what's the story? Interesting, although we said before that, you know, split leaves are not a problem, but unless it's made like a, you know, like a, like a two separate spines, okay, a normal split leaf is not a problem. But what about the tip of it? What's the story there? Okay, so he says, What's the story if the tip of it is split? So Tashma coming here, the Amar of Yochanan, or some of Rav Mason, Amar of Yoshua ben Levi, Nitlat Yomis Pasol. If the tip is removed, it's invalid. My love, who adin nechlaka, wouldn't it be the same whether it's removed or if it's split? Lo, no, nitlashani. If it's uh, if it's removed, it's different. The is actually missing. That's a bigger problem. Ikadami. So according to that, if a split top would not be a problem. Ikadami. Others say Amar of Yochanan or Amar of Mosan, Amar of Yosho ben Levi. Nechlakatiyomes. If the split, if the top is split, It's as bad as it being removed and it's invalid. So this becomes the biggest issue for Lulav, because we said before that a normal splitting of leaves is not a problem. Okay, just think about the three things we just said. A normal splitting of leaves is not a problem. Good. Bending could be a problem, but how much bent and in which direction, so that's a question. And now we get to the third thing, which is the biggest issue, which is, you know, people looking at the tip and making sure the tip isn't split. And the Gemara, at least the second approach of the Gemara, is that a split tip is no good. So how split? So take a look at Rashi. Rashi at least saves us a little bit. Rashi says, Nechukat um, Yomet, it's about 20 lines down. He says, Shnei alim el yonim entzaim, shishama shidra kala, nechukat zemizeh, they split from one another, v'nistikah shidra ad ha'alim shalamatamehem. And they split all the way down until the leaves below them. So if you have, I don't, again, I didn't, I'm not sure this is completely accurate. This is, my visual memory of what a lulav looks like. Okay, you have like the um, the spine here, right? And then you've got like the leaves. Right? Anyway, at the top, right? If you've got the spine, right? And then you've got like the top sort of leaf coming from the spine, and then you've got these leaves, right, coming from here, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of. You can sort of see what I'm saying. So according to Rashi, if it's split a little there, it's not a problem. It has to be split all the way down until it hits the spine and until it gets to the where the next leaves come out of the spine from. So according to that Rashi, right, it's, no. it's, you, you, rarely you, a it's rarely a problem. Okay, but for others, even a tiny little split at the top is an issue, and that's why people go crazy, myself included, looking for a lula. Okay, so that is the issue of the Tiomet. So the Gemara says like this. Um... Rebbe Yehuda, now Rebbe Yehuda says, if the leaves are sand out, you have to bind them so that they're flat against the spine. Tanya, we turn to Brisa. Rebbe Yehuda, Mishim Rebbe Tarfon, Kapotz Marim, a palm branch, a branch of a palm tree. Kapot imhaya parud yichfetenu. Kapot means bound, is a way of reading it. So if they were spread out, you need to bind them against the spine. 
Amalei Ravina Ravashi. So Ravina said to Ravashi, Mimai the high cup was Tamarim to Lulava. How do you know that this whole word, Kapot Tamarim, means a palm branch? Um, um, who? Ema, what? How do you know what the words mean? How do you know? Right. Tamar does mean a palm. So, a dumb palm. Right. so, but no, here's the question. I mean, I shouldn't have emphasized the word, you're right. I shouldn't have emphasized the word palm if I did. It definitely comes from a palm tree. But how do you know that it is the, the part, the, 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 the part of the palm tree where the leaves are separate but flying flat against the spine? Maybe it is a different part of the palm tree. Okay, Ema Harusa. But, uh, so, like we said before, we just spoke about Harut, which was when the, these branches become sticks, right? When you leave them on the tree long enough, the leaves sort of fuse and it becomes a stick. So, how do you know that it means separate leaves? Maybe it means when it actually becomes a stick. So the Gemara says no. But Ena Kafus Veleka. You need it to be something that is actually bindable. There has to be separate leaves. So it is actually, you know, something that can be bound together. According to this, it's just a stick. You wouldn't call that kapot. You wouldn't call that something bindable. So the Gemara says, Veima Ufsa. But what about Ufsa? So Rashi says that that actually is some type of a thing from like the trunk of the tree, not from a branch. Again, I don't exactly know. Yeah. So he says, okay. Um, okay, where is it? Veima Ufsa. So it says, no. Kofus nichwal de ika parud. The high kofus for omate. So kofus means that it was something that was, you know, that. Well, hold on, let me just check Rashi a minute. This Rashi is printed in my book Kufra with a resh. Um, no, that's the next question oh, in the no, Mara. Okay, but I hold on just one minute. I just want to look okay. at one thing. One minute. Okay, okay, no, no, I, I, so, okay, wait, wait, okay, no, 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 I understood, okay, I, I, I missed, I missed, I, I, I misread the first thing, let's go back for a minute, okay, so the Gemara says, when it says, Ema Chirusa, which is the sticks, it wasn't suggesting the way Rashi explains it, to take like a stick all by itself, what it was suggesting was, you know, if you take, think about a branch of a tree, Right? So, you know, t- don't take one of the sticks and think that these are the lula branches and they've sit- been on long enough that they now have hardened. So imagine each one of these could have been a lula, but now it's hardened. So th- these are called harusa. It's when the leaves have fused and hardened. So take a branch with all of those offshoot harusas and use that. That's separate things. All of the branches, essentially, that are offshoots are like they are separate. So the Gemara says, no. But in a kufus veleka, that's not good because you need it to be bound up. You need it to be flat against the spine. So that remains separate. So then it says, okay, ve'ima ufta. Now, ufta is a part of the trunk or, um, that actually everything is just one unit. So for that, the Gemara says, no. Kufus bound up, kaparud, means that there are separate elements, but they're just situated all together. So you can't have branches because they're not situated together. You can't have a stick because a stick doesn't have separate elements. You need the actual lulav with loose leaves that are against the spine that has both elements, separate units, but bound together. So the Gemara says, Baha'i kafos v'omid, lolam, and this sort of stick is always one unit. It's not separate units bound together. 
Ema Kufra, what about Kufra? So Rashi says that that's a case of of like loose branches. Of like, if you take a look at Rashi, we'll read Rashi. The Ema Kufra, Rashi says, Hainu Nami Eitz, Ke'etz Chirusa, El Adayin Ben Shana Oshtei Shanim Velonis Ave Eitzo. V'ata Yechol Kafo Anafav Ayidei Agud. So he says, it's like this case, except they're not so hard. These things are separate, but if you really force them, you could bring them all together. So maybe it's that case of the branch with sticks that could be brought together. So the Gemara says, mm-hmm. The Torah's ways are, are pleasant and beautiful, and this, when it's at this stage, there's all of these uh, uh, thorns on the, on the branch, and it'll scratch you, and obviously the Torah would not want you to do that. Um, Amrle Rava, so Rava says, Amrle Rava Tosfa'al Ravina, so Rava Tosfa said to Ravina, the aim of Tarti Kape, Ditmare, maybe we should take Kapot in the plural. Maybe we should take two loves. Kapot No, it's written without the Vav. The aim Chada, so maybe you should take, uh, one minute. Oh no, again, I misread it, I'm sorry. Rashi says, Tarti Kape, Ditmare means, um, Oh, why not take like a um, like a cluster of of dates, right? Maybe kapot marim means a cluster <laughs> of dates. So, okay. So, how do you say? Because that's separate units. We're talking here all about branches and whatever, and separate units together. I don't know. If you get a cluster of dates like this, right? And here's your palm branch that they're on. So that cluster are separate things that are then all together. Mm-hmm. So maybe, so maybe we maybe it means take a cluster of grapes. So it says, um, so kapatksi. No, it says kapat in the singular, which basically means that it has to be, um, that, 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 it, that it can only be one. The emachada. So fine, so take one cluster of grapes. Of grape. No, lahu kaf karile. That wouldn't be called kapat, that would just be called a kaf. Okay, so you, because it says kapot, somehow, if it said kapot with a vav, it would have, could have meant multiple clusters of grapes, of grapes, of dates. If it said kaf, it could have meant one cluster of grapes, of, of dates. Somehow, since it says kapot in this way, it's one thing which is many, and what's the one thing which is many? That's the lulav, that basically separately used, but they all come together for one unit. So this is a very, like, I don't know, frustrating, well, it's frustrating for me, because I'm trying to remember what these physical scenarios are. But anyway, <laughs> but besides which, it's like, you know, did the Gemara really think that the Torah meant take a cluster of dates? Was that really a serious Havamina? And only because of the yes, the Vav, and not the Vav, and all of that, did it figure out that it was talking about a Lulav. So Rambam in Parish Mishnayis uses this, and other Gemaras that we're going to see coming up, that also try to figure out what is Anafet Tzavot, what is Priyat Hadar, what are these things, and has similar types of derivations. Well, maybe it's this fruit, maybe it's that fruit, and then comes up with very sort of like weak explanations about how you know it's exactly this fruit. And Rambam says, we have to assume they just knew this by tradition. You know, how do you know what any word means, right? So it's obviously, there's a tradition, there's an oral culture that, you know, that's passed down about what these li- words in the language mean. So Rambam says that that's actually, and this is interesting because we normally don't say, put this in this category, he says that's actually a form of halach lemoshe misinai, in the sense of that it's not something that is derived from the verse. It's something we always knew. We always knew, well, there was always a tradition, what was meant here. And when the Gemara speaks about maybe it's this type of part of the palm tree and that part of the palm tree, and maybe it's the dates and maybe it's this, 
It's just doing it like for fun. It's just doing it to try to show how you can link it to the verse. Yeah, to but the bottom, the bottom line is we know what it's talking about. There was always a tradition what it was talking about. Okay, so that's the point that the Rama makes in Parish Hamishnayis. Okay, so let's take a look. We'll see more of that later. Now, if they look, a, a lulav comes from of this fine of this uh, iron mountain, um, then it is kasher. What does that mean? So let's take a look. Amar Abaye, lo shanu el shorosh shalzeh megil itzad ikarosh shalzeh. Avol ein rosh shalzeh megil itzad ikarosh shalzeh pasul. It is a type of lulav where the leaves don't actually overlap, where one leaf is very short and it only comes to the base of the next leaf. Okay, but that's when it's kasher. Even that is kasher. But it is, if it is so small the leaf that the tip of one leaf does not reach the base of the next, that's invalid. Tanya nami hachi, we taught similarly. Sine har bars psula, it's invalid. It's like a bias resolution that if the leaf reaches the base, it's kasher. If it doesn't reach the base of the next leaf, it's invalid. Okay, the ika derami le nirma. Some make it, show it as a contradiction. It's not, we taught in the mission, that sine har bars el kasher. It's kasher. Vatanya psula, we taught a bias that's invalid. So they said that Abaye's teaching was coming to reconcile the mission of the Brisa. Lo kasha. When the tip of one leaf reaches the base of the next, it's kasher. If it doesn't even reach the base of the next, it's invalid. Okay. Amar Rebbe Miryon, Amar Rebbe Yosho ben Levi, Ramilei Tani Rabbi Bar Mari, Mishum Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakai, so two interesting different traditions. There are two palm trees in Gay Beninom, the valley of Beninom, which is outside of Yushalayim, but also becomes the source of our concept of Gehenim, Gay Beninom. Okay. Um, and smoke rises from between these two palm trees. So again, one wonders about the Gehenim association. And this is what is meant by the Tzine Har Har Barzel. Not exactly clear, again, what those, why the Iron Mountain, what that means. But the, that's where those palm trees grow that have these shortened leaves. And that's what the Mishnah is referring to. So the palm trees in this valley of Ben-Hinom. And if the association wasn't clear enough, in between those palm trees, right, where the smoke is, if you go down and follow the smoke, you'll get access to Gehenim. So from the valley of Beninom, <laughs> the valley of Beninom, where the smoke rises, that's the entryway, the gateway to Gehenim. And you know, like sometimes you have these palm trees, like at the sides of an entrance, this archway. So you get the palm trees, the archway to Gehenim. And those lulavs from those trees actually is kosher. Okay. I'm sure you can make a really good drush out of that. Anyway, I'm a review Okay, now we get to the size. If it's three tfachim, the mission says enough to shake it, it's kasher. So what does this mean? So I'm a review Shir hadas arava, the size of a hadas and an arava, shlosha is three tfachim. The lulav arba'a and the lulav is four tfachim. Kedeshi lulav yotzei mina hadas tefach. It should be come up from above. Okay, a whole tefach higher. Interesting, he says, mina hadas, not mina rava. Anyway, so this is an idea, and I should reiterate this. You know, that the way we have one esrog and the other three meaning bound together is because of the way the pasuk is written. Kapot marim, no vav connects him. Kapot marim, ve'anaf, it's a vote, ve'ar ve'nachal. So those three come together. 
also the idea that we have, we make the bracha of al nitilat lulav. Why don't we say al nitilat arba minim? Al nitilat etrov. Why do we say al nitilat lulav? So, what, first of all, because the lulav bunched together is three quarters of the job, uh, of, of the deal. But still, why mention the lulav? So the basic answer is because the lulav is the tallest, and therefore it is the most dominant. And also, it can connect to the puzzle because the puzzle starts with kapot marim plus this plus that. But the center is kapot marim vulula. So here, what we're saying is the same, therefore, is true of the shear. The minimum size of the lulav has to be more than the minimum size of the hadas and the rava to allow for the fact that it will stick out of the bundle. Now, here's an interesting question. Let's say you're exceeded the minimum. I have a five tefach lulav, but a six tefach rava. Can I put the aravas higher than the lulav? Okay, because they both satisfy the minimum. And again, Halakhically, you can, but we do it so that you actually situate them lower. You make sure that the top of the lulav is going up from higher than the bundle. Okay, so that's what he's saying. The minimum of those is three, and the lulav is four, so the lulav should go a tefach higher. Rebbe Parnach, Amar Rebbe Yochanan, and Rebbe Parnach said in Rebbe Yochanan, Shidra shel lulav tefach. It's not the tip of the leaves of the lulav, the spine of the lulav has to be a tefach higher, okay, which really is a, um, you know, a more demanding requirement. Now notice, this is the point I was saying. It's not like you, Bidyevid wouldn't be Yosei, but um, you go ahead and you have your minimum and everything is the minimum size. He's saying you have to make sure, he's not talking about minimum sizes. He's saying when you bundle them together, you have to make sure that the spine goes a tefach higher. Okay, that's interesting because some people might not do make sure the spine. They may have the top leaves going higher. He actually is demanding that the spine goes a tefa higher and something to pay attention to when you're making your lulav. Okay, it's not. We turn to Mishnah. Lulav kish bogimot fachim kedei lunanei abo kasher. The lulav is three fachim to shake and it's kasher. So, didn't you, Abaye, just get through, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yehuda Mishmuel just get through saying it needs to have four fachim. Why does the Mishnah say three fachim? So, Ema, you should read it, If it has and enough to shake it, it is kasher. Meaning, it's not three, it's three tzachim plus an extra amount to shake it. Each one, like they said, which is, Rabbi Yudha would say, does not say that the spine has to exceed. So, according to him, it's enough that the top of the lulav is an extra tefach. And according to the second opinion of uh, Rabbi Yochanan, who says that the spine has to exceed, he would actually say that the spine, even the, the, the spine would have to be four tefachim um, in order to, that would have to be the extra amount today with Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, Tashma, come in here. Shir hadas varavash losha, the size of a hadas and a rav is three tefachim, the lulav arba'a, and the lulav is four tefachim. So, my la bahade alin, doesn't that mean, you know, including the leaves, the whole lulav? And again, that's a proof to the first opinion. And it's against Reb Yochanan who says that the spine has to exceed a tefach. And if the spine has to exceed, so then you're measuring four tefachim from the spine. Well, no, levad me'alin. He would say it means you're counting the four tefachim of the spine, not the leaves. Okay, gufa. So now we have an interesting point. The Mishnah says three tefachim. We have two Emoraic statements that say four tefachim. Both of them reading the Mishnah three plus Kedei Lenanea, not three in order Kedei Lenanea, three plus a tefach. And then they debate whether we're talking about the whole lulav, including the tops of the leaves, has to be four tefachim, or even just the spine has to be four tefachim. Okay, so now the Gemara goes on. Gufa. Let's get back to the basic statement of the size of the Hadas and the Arava. 
Pure Hadas Varava Shlosha. The minimum size of the Hadas and the Rava is three. Um, oh my, did I skip a line? No. Okay. Gufa. Pure Hadas Varava Shlosha. The Lulav Arba. The Bitarvan Omer, Ba'ama Bas Chamisha Tfachim. We're talking about a, it's an Ama of five Tfachim. Now, one way to read that is, he's saying, three Tfachim isn't enough. You need it to be five Tfachim. So, Ama Rava, so Rava said, Sharali Mari Le Rebbe Tarfan. His, his ma- the master should forgive his master should forgive Rebbe Tarfan meaning the Rebona Shalom should forgive Rebbe Tarfan for saying such a thing we have a hard enough fa- time finding three Tfachim of braided leaves right anybody ever like you know work, checks the Hadassim you know you have to get all three leaves coming from the same point you know you gotta, if you got to get that three Tfachim down that's like really hard so we have an impossible time just getting three Tfachim of braided leaves so, Bas Kamisha Mibaya? Do you think we can get a five tefa chadas? What are you talking about? So, Mar says, no. He also Revdimi Amar. When Revdimi came from Eretz Yisrael, he explained it the following way. It doesn't mean you need a five tefa chadas. It means the following. Amar Bas Shishat Fachim. Take your normal six tefa Amar. I'll say also Bas Kamisha, but subdivided into five. So, if you take a six tefa Amar and you subdivide into five, each tefa is now a tefa and a fifth. Okay, is that clear? Yes? Okay. So, so what he means is he doesn't say, disagree with the three and the four. He agrees. Three for Hadas and Arava, four for Lula. But the question is, how big are the Tfachim you're measuring them with? So he says, measure them with a five Tefach Amma. What he means is, we can agree that your Hadas here, we'll draw that as your Hadas, your hadas here is three tfachim, and your lulav is four. Maybe four of the spine, or four with the leaves. Right? That's the question of the debate. You measure the four from here, or the four from here. But your lulav is four. He agrees to the three and the four. He just says, when you're coming to measure these tfachim, don't measure it with a normal tfachim. Take an amma of six tfachim, two, three, four, five, six. Take a six tfachim amma, and redivide it into five. So if you're going to redivide it into five, each one, whatever. You get the idea? Each tefach here is going to be a tefach and a fifth. So take a, do a five division of an amma, not a six division, so you actually get 1.2 and use those types of tefachim to measure your, uh, you know, to measure your, your lulav and your hadas. Okay, so that's what he is saying. So the Gemara says like this, um, uh, where are we? Okay, there, there, there. Um, use three of these bigger tfachim for your hadas. Lulav doesn't mean the rest, but one more for a lulav. So, so the Gemara says, Okay, so then how much would you demand for your hadas? If each tefach is 1.2, your hadas is going to have to be 3 and 3 fifths, 3.6. So Kasha Dishmoah Dishmoah, then Shmuel will contradict himself. We started by saying that they said that uh, the Hadas and the Rav have to be three Tfachim. V'hatsam in another place, a little bit later in the Gemara, we're about to say, We will like Rebbe Tarfan. So if Rebbe Tarfan means use a 1.2 Tefach, a Tefach that's really 1.2, and he's really saying it has to be 3.6, how can Shmuel say that it has to be three? So the Gemara says, Low doc, all right. When he said three, he wasn't being precise. I said, what, one minute. When would we say you can't, you're not being precise? If you're rounding up to be strict? If you really demanded 3.6, you would not be imprecise and say 3. 
So, we would never say low dak to be lenient. You know, he other rubbing to fine. Let's do, try another approach at what this five thing, five tefach ama means. So, he also rubbing ama. When Ravin came, he said the following. It means the opposite. Well, not the opposite, but like the flip of what you were saying. Ama bat take a five tefach ama, a short ama, a seoto shisha, and divide five tefachim by six. Okay, so as opposed to here, where you're taking six tefachim and dividing by five, and you get a 1.2 tefach ama, that's what we've been saying now. He says, no, 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 do the opposite. Start with a shorter ama, an ama of five, okay, and then divide that into six units. So each tefach is going to now be five-sixths of a tefach. And use a five-sixths tefach to do this measurement. Okay, which is a nice kula. So let's take a look. It five, says... Five-sixths of a one-point-two tefach. What? Five-sixths of a one-point-two No, no, no. Five-sixths of a normal one tefach. Take a, five, take a, a yardstick that's five fucking big, five normal fucking big, and divide it by six. So you have a five-sixths of a tefach. Okay, so he says... Um, use three for Hadassah now if that's true since Lulav has to only be three five six Tzfachim so that's fifteen six which is two point five right mm-hmm. okay twelve you, you see the math mm-hmm. so that actually is a very important that, uh, that you really only need two point five Tzfachim of Hadassah and because it is so hard to find the hadas with the three leaves together, this actually becomes a very, and you can get a hadas that's longer, but how much of it has to be if you have the leaves? So this actually gets us to 2.5, which makes things uh, definitely easier. So, um, so how much then is the hadas really required? Trey Upaga, two and a half. So, Sevkasha Dishmuel, Dishmuel. Okay, then why does Shmuel say three? So, Gemara says, low doc. He wasn't being precise and he was rounding up. He was saying three instead of two and a half. That you're allowed to say. Yes. And now we finally get to the statement we're referring to. Because he says like Rebbe Tarfin. How does that work with three? So we have Rebbe Tarfin meaning really two and a half and then he's rounding up. So we're dealing with a, 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 an unclear statement of Rebbe Tarfin that we've now redefined to say that it means use five, six, tefach, Okay, let's take, get started on the next Mishnah. But that was, as you might imagine, very important lahalacha. The idea of the split top leaf, of the bending, um, the issue about the other split leaves, you know, and then the question about the minimum size and how we actually say three and four, but then we translate it to using short tfachim, which makes it more lenient. Um, and the issue that, again, that we just said about the lulav going higher than the other minim, um, and this issue about are you measuring the lulav the entire one, or are you measuring it specifically about the spine, which takes even a, a stronger demand if you're measuring the spine rather than the entire lulav. Okay, now we move on to the hadas. Okay, and we're going to go through all of the arba minim, and the mishnayas are going to be structured almost the exact same with local differences for each of the four minim. Okay, so uh, let's take a look. Hadas hagazu ve'yavesh pasul. If it's stolen or dried, it's invalid. Shalasher v'shalir nidachas pasul. If it was worshipped as an asherah or nidachas, it's pasul. So we're not going to have to discuss that because that's just a simple application of whatever we said by lulav. If its head was cut off or its leaves fell off, oh, and here's a new idea, or if there were more berries 
then leaves because on a hadas that can grow berries pasul it's invalid the imiyatan kasher if you pluck the berries and now there are fewer berries than leaves it's kasher the imimatin biyantav but you cannot pluck the berries on yantav and we'll discuss why that is um, one thing to mention is it does not speak about by the lulav if the leaves are fanned out you know bind them together and so on because you don't have that reality by a hadas by a hadas what could happen to the leaves they could fall off they're not going to spread out they're not going to split Right? So those realities you don't have, but you have a new reality of the issue of the berries. And that's the special case that's dealt with. Tanu Rabbanan. And now this Gemara gets to this issue of identifying what is the Hadas. And here, really, I remind you of what I said before, like according to the Rambam, that we can assume they knew it by Mitzvah, they had a tradition. Anaf Eitavot. Okay? A branch of uh, braided, uh, of braided wood. Anafav chofim et etso. So first we say that the anaf has to be, the, the leaves have to cover up the, ste, the stick. The eze, the eze, who, and what is one like this? Haviomer ze hadas, it's hadas. So the Mara says, zeta, how about an olive branch? The leaves cover up the, the branch. So, no, the inan avot, the leka. You need it to come in braids. The leaves have, leaves have to come in braids. They don't do that by an olive tree. The ema dulba, how about the tree called the Dulba? Rashi says it's an uh, Eitz Aramon, which is what? A uh, chestnut. chestnut? Okay. It's olive. Uh, no, olive was before. So the Gemara says, okay, so there the leaves are braided. So the Gemara says, no, but Inan Anafav Chofinet That has the other problem. That might have braided leaves, but they don't cover the branch. Vleka. The Amek Hirduf, how about Hirduf, which is another type of a thing that has braided leaves which do cover the branch, but apparently are very, uh, have thorns on them or are very spiky, the leaves, and cause, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, will cause cuts. So what about that? So Amar Baye, so like we said before, you need it to be beautiful. The Torah would not demand, the Torah's ways are pleasant, would not demand us to take one of the Arba Minim that would cut our hands. Rava Amar Mehacha, Ha'emes Vashalom Ehavu, love, peace, and truth. And Zrachi is saying, this isn't peace, and it's not, I don't know, you know if it's going to wind up cutting your hands. Okay, interesting why he felt the need to quote another puzzle. Anyway, as I said, did they really not know and really figure it out this way, or do we assume they always have the tradition and we're just backwards connecting it and seeing how, we, how it can be inferred from the verse? Tanu Rabbanan, um, a rabbi's part. Uh, you know what, we'll end here. So to be continued on Shabbat. Thanks,